Let us hear the word of God, Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we uh, come now to uh, this topic for our day, uh, you may recall that the Gospel of Mark does not make mention of the birth of Christ. It jumps right into the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, John does similarly. Uh, It does mention about the Word made flesh, but he too jumps into the ministry of John. Uh, As we read a little bit ago, Matthew, though, does make reference to the birth of Christ. um, And, of course, here, so does Luke. Um, (coughs) Excuse me, Matthew focuses on Joseph and the Magi, and Luke here focuses on Mary and the shepherds. But you'll notice how brief the actual mention of the birth is. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 1 here just a moment, and I do want to make reference to it again here in a little bit, uh, you notice how brief it is stated here. Um, It's similar to the crucifixion. Very little is actually said about it here in Matthew. Note verse 24, right? Joseph does as the angel says, and Mary's Mary, verse 25, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That's it. (laughs) Almost an afterthought. (laughs) But as we come here to Luke, obviously Luke gives us uh, some more information in this way. But even so, verse 7 doesn't say that much, um, but certainly uh, more than Matthew. Um, 
And so you might say that they describe the birth of Jesus itself with little fanfare. Now, certainly we have things surrounding it, like the genealogy and the Magi coming, the angel to Joseph, here now the angel to Mary and the shepherds and so forth. Um, But uh, as I've said uh, at uh, previous sermons here in this way, let's be careful about sentimentalizing the events. Let's also be careful that we don't add into our understanding things that the text does not say. And so I'll make mention of some of that here this morning. All right, now last time, last year, verses 1 to 7, uh, we saw in verses 1 to 3 uh, the, these uh, historical comments by Luke. And you may recall that there are all kinds of questions about it, and it's just simply because we have not yet found information outside of the scriptures to corroborate what Luke says. Um, but of course, this is scripture, so this is our authority, and eventually it'll be found, most likely, just haven't yet. Uh, And then in verses 4 and 5, we see how Joseph and Mary had to return to their ancestral home in Bethlehem to be registered and taxed, the census, you know, big government kinds of beastly things. But even through all of this, God uses the fourth beast of Daniel to initially establish what we call the Pax Romana, right, the peace of Rome, so people could travel much more freely. Um, and even uses these beastly behaviors to bring about the fulfillment of his promise. And so in Micah 5, verse 2, we are told that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And through all of these machinations of these evil powers, God brought it about and fulfilled his word in this way. And now it is possible that Mary and Joseph traveled on their own. Maybe they traveled with others. It is possible that they uh, met with extended family in Bethlehem and so forth. Uh, Maybe they were shunned because Mary was pregnant uh, before marriage. Um, But again, the text does not make those things clear. Then in verses 6 and 7, we see that while Mary was in Bethlehem, and we know they were there for a while because the Magi is about a year later before they come, And so it's possible that she gave birth in a few days, maybe it was a few weeks or even a month or two. Uh, But whatever the case, she gives birth to Jesus. Um, And uh, we are given the information here that when he was born, he was placed in the manger. I'll say more about that here in a moment. Uh, Here in verse 7, it says there is no room in the inn. Now, you may recall that this is not referring to the local hotel or motel, This is the word used for guest room. So things were so packed full, all the inns were full, but even the guest rooms were full. So think of the upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper. This is the kind of room they're talking about. Um, But the fact that they were among the animals suggests they were either out uh, in the pasture where a barn was or a cave was, But it is also possible they had, among poorer families, they had more or less a split-level home where the animals were on the lower level and the people lived on the upper level. So wherever they actually were, they were with the animals when Jesus was born. Um, But for all of the uncertainties and the questions that we may have, the point is clear. Messiah has been born. And now... In this section, we see responses to that. And so verse 8, 
Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Again, Matthew focuses on the wise men. Here, Luke focuses on the shepherds. And notice he does not focus on the cuteness of the little baby. Um, He doesn't focus on sentimental things. He focuses on how people respond to the birth of the Messiah. Here first of heaven's response and then, of course, of others. And we are told then that the shepherds were out in the fields with their flocks. And they would typically do this staying in the pasture uh, during uh, the spring, summer, and fall seasons. So typically April to November time frame. And so they would do this to help protect the animals. And of course, they would move them around. We're used to fields with fences, you know, electric fences or whatever, and, and that's it. Uh, but they would not have the fences and they would move them all over the place. And so if we had a flock of sheep, you know, we might be on this hillside one day and on uh, the one over there the next day and just move it around. And so they would stay with the animals. So uh, this is no surprise to see this description um, uh, here for them. Now, <clears throat> notice, though, the implication of this. If you look at chapter 1, verse 26, you may remember here a few years ago, I made this comment. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 26, it says, The sixth month Gabriel came to Mary. Now, the question for us is, which calendar is Luke referencing? If he is referring to the religious calendar, then the angel came to Mary approximately September 1st, give or take a week, which means Jesus would have been born approximately June 1st. And that would fit with shepherds being out in the fields. Even pregnant women traveling at this time of the year would be easier. Um, The church is the one that later established December 25th as the day to celebrate the birth of Christ. It has nothing to do with the chronology of when Jesus was actually born. But this emphasis on the light being born in the darkness, the darkest time of the year, and the light of the world is born. And so December 25th in our culture, there's been January 6th and at other times in history where they celebrated it, uh, and so on. Now, some have tried to say, well, maybe the shepherds are uh, taking care of the sacrifices for the Levites, and they would have been out in the wintertime too, or whatever. But um, uh, I think it's more likely the other. Now, there, there is the other option, and that is the sixth month according to the, the civil calendar. That would mean that Gabriel came to Mary approximately March 1st, which means Jesus would have been born approximately December 1st. But whatever the case, let's not get so wrapped up in the day but taking a day, especially to remember the birth of our Lord. All right, so let's look then at verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And so while they're out watching their flocks, protecting them from wild animals and thieves and so forth, an angel appears here in the middle of the night. And there is great glory, and obviously the brightness of the coming of the angel would be very stark in the nighttime. And this, understandably, terrified the shepherds. Now in chapter 1, we are told it was Gabriel that came to Zechariah. It was Gabriel that came to Mary. But we're not told which angel came at this point. Even in Matthew chapter 1, we are not told which angel came to Joseph. It could have been Gabriel, maybe it was Michael, 
Maybe it was a different angel. We do not know. But this angel comes, and the common response we see in the scriptures is fear. Uh, we might think of a cute little cherub or an angel with wings and a harp, and we oh, isn't that kind of neat, you know. But if you see an angel, you'll be afraid too. And uh, this is the right response. And so notice then what the angel says, verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And so the first response, again, is something we see in other passages, is simply, you don't need to be afraid. It's okay. And the reason given here, then, is this good news, this joy that is going to be for all people. Now, in Luke's gospel, and of course in the book of Acts, one of the key themes that Luke is trying to communicate in his gospel and in Acts is that this good news, this gospel, the work of Christ, is not merely for Israel. It is not merely for the Jews. Of the four gospel writers, he emphasizes more than the rest how this is for everyone, for the Gentiles too. Now, this does not mean a universal salvation, but what it does mean is that this good news isn't just for Israel, but it goes beyond Israel, begins in Israel, and then expands. And, of course, we've been seeing this theme in the book of Romans. And so this is what is uh, intended here. Now, he continues and says in verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this is why there is good news. This is why there is joy. All the promises of the Messiah are coming to fruition. Beginning in Genesis 3, verse 15, the first time God promised the Messiah would come, along with the hundreds of other ones throughout the Old Testament, the angel is now coming to the shepherds and saying, it is now happening. They have been waiting for thousands of years, but now... This night, the promises are coming about. And so he gives then several uh, descriptions here. He says, first, in the city of David. And if you look back, uh, you'll notice what we saw um, in verse 4. The city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So we're not talking about Jerusalem here. We're talking about Bethlehem. And so tonight, uh, this night, the Messiah is born. Again, fulfilling Micah 5 and verse 2. And then it says, the angel says, a savior, a savior. Now, again, in Matthew chapter one, uh, the angel said to Joseph uh, there in verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is how the angel communicates the point here to the shepherds. Jesus did not come to save them from the Romans or the Babylonians, or the Greeks, or the Philistines, or anyone else. Jesus came to save us from our sins, to save us from God. We deserve God's wrath and judgment. Jesus came to save us from God himself. And so he is called our Savior. And then next it says that he is the Christ. Now you recall maybe that this is the Greek word Christ or Christos and then you have the Hebrew word Messiah and they both mean the same thing. And so Christ and the Messiah refer to the same idea that God has anointed Jesus for this task. 
In the Old Testament, we just read uh, some about the tabernacle. Uh, the priests were anointed. They were messiahed, if you will, uh, set apart for their, their task. The king, of course, like David, was anointed. Um, and here, though, Jesus is anointed as the king, the messiah, the priest, the prophet to save us from our sins and God's judgment. And then lastly, it says here, uh, he is Christ the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek is not nearly as precise on the names of God compared to the Old Testament in the Hebrew. Uh, in the Greek, there are two primary names, the one for God, the one for Lord. Uh, of course, we have Jesus and Christ and such too. But in the Old Testament, we have a, a lot more variety. Uh, the word here for Lord can translate the Hebrew word Adonai. And Adonai emphasizes God's sovereignty, that he is master, he is Lord over all things. And certainly that is true of Jesus. Okay? As we sing in the hymn, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. And that is certainly true, he is master. But it seems like the angel, and certainly we see in other passages in the New Testament, that this is ultimately referring to the name Yahweh our covenant Lord. Our covenant Lord is not merely our sovereign master. Okay? He is present with us. He exists for all eternity. And so there's a much richer meaning. And this word for Lord ultimately is pointing us to that name, the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so notice then that the angel here, by implication, again, we learn more of this throughout the, the New Testament, but he is hinting at the Trinity. Okay? Yahweh has been born, not the Father, of course, not the Spirit, but the Son of God is born here as the person of Christ, here the second person of the Trinity, as we say. Well, each one of these things, these names and such that the angel gives, we could say much more about, but you can see why there is so much joy, that why this is good news. And uh, this is going to be for all people, including us here today. Now, verse 12, he says one more thing to them. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, why would he give a sign? Well, it's possible that the shepherds were maybe a little... Uh, confused or bewildered or something like that, maybe thinking, you know, this is too good to be true. Um, and yet there's an angel in front of them, and yet they still need more proof. And so here is the proof. They've been waiting all these centuries and millennia, but here's the proof. Yes, it's now finally coming about. Add to that, in roughly 100 years surrounding Christ's coming, there were other people who claimed to be the Messiah including one with the name Jesus, so or Joshua, right? And uh, so the angel's like, no, this is the one, not the other ones you may have heard about, but this is the Messiah, and here's the sign. You're going to see this baby wrapped in cloths, but that's not quite so unusual at all. In fact, you possibly they could have found a handful of babies born in Bethlehem. You got all these extra people coming here for the census. It's possible. The odd thing is that the baby will be lying in a manger. And so that'd be like us going to the hospital and you have, 
you know, the, the maternity ward and such, and you're looking in the window and you see a dozen children in there that have just been born, you know, oh, that, that's no surprise. But if you found one, not in those little, you know, warmer ovens, you know, but somewhere else in the closet, I mean, that's, that would be unusual, right? And so here's what, what the angel is saying. You're going to find a baby, but you're going to find one out with the animals, that's going to be the sign that's going to make it clear. Yes, this is the Messiah. All right, so verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. All right, so again, whether it's Gabriel or whoever it was, now he is joined with all these other angels. We're not given a specific number. Maybe it was 100, maybe it was 1,000. You know, we don't know. But they're praising God, and this then is another sign. The angel coming is a sign. Finding Jesus in a manger will be a sign, but this one also is one to affirm this news to the shepherds and even to us today. Now, as Matthew would definitely want me to say, notice it does not say the angels were singing. It says they were saying. (laughs) But as I tell Matthew... It is possible that they were singing too. Uh, You can take the word in that way. But notice it does say they were saying. So verse 14, what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. All right, now first of all, notice this is the third of four songs, poems, sayings, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Back in chapter 1, verses 46 and following, note what Mary said. And this one is called the Magnificat because the first word is my soul magnifies the Lord, so the Latin word there. And then in verses 67 and following, we have Zacharias' words, his song. Um, Again, notice his saying there. And this one's called the Benedictus because of the word for blessed. Here's now the third one. And this one, this angel song, is called Glory in Excelsis Deo. Of course, we know that from the hymns that we sing. The fourth one, uh, we'll look at maybe, Lord willing, next year, verses 29 to 31, Simeon's words, his song. All right, so what do they say? Glory to God in the highest, or Gloria in Excelsis Deo, as we say in Latin. Uh, They're giving all glory and honor to God who is high above all the hosts of heaven, above all of these angels over any kings or any other power. And they say glory to God because on earth now there is peace. There is peace. But not we're not talking Pax Romano kind of peace here. We're talking about eternal peace that Christ accomplishes for us. So if you turn to Romans here just a moment, uh, after we finish Romans 3 and 4, chapter 5, verse 1 is going to begin by saying, Therefore, having been justified by faith, right, that's chapters 3 and 4 especially, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you turn over a couple pages to chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that the angels are talking about. Again, we're not talking about civil peace, 
political peace, economic peace, and so on. Now, there may be implications of Christ's work to bring peace for those things, but the main point here is eternal peace, peace with God. The Prince of Peace has come to turn away the wrath of God. As we've seen in Romans 1, that's the key point, right? God's wrath is revealed against us because of our sin. But Christ has come to turn that wrath aside so that we can be at peace with God. And so there will be peace on earth. Okay. Now, the New King James and the Old King James will say it like this. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. As you read it that way, it sounds like that Jesus will bring about two things, peace and goodwill. But the Greek actually says it like this, peace upon the earth among men of goodwill. Peace upon the earth among men of goodwill. In other words, there will be peace to these men of goodwill. That doesn't necessarily mean it will be peace for everyone, right? There will be peace for these some men, these some people, men of goodwill. Now, how does this fit with verse 10? If peace is only going to be for some, and yet there's joy to all people, this is no contradiction, because what I already said a little bit ago in verse 10 is that we're not just limiting this joy to Israel, but to all people, Jews and Gentiles, Israel and the rest of the world. Not necessarily everyone, every individual, but there will be joy for people throughout the earth. And that's what is mentioned here too then. Men of goodwill, not everyone, we're not talking about universal salvation, but for some. All right, now, what's this word goodwill mean? It's actually a combination of two Greek words. And the first one is the word for good, or you could say it as the adverb, well. Okay? And so we might say, it is well with my soul. Okay? Things are good, you know, however you want to say it there. The, the word for gospel has this word in it. The good news is the announcing that things are good, things are well. The other word that is used in combination here is taking this word for good and the other word emphasizes examining the worth of something, proving the genuineness of something. So think of a jeweler, for example. Hey, if you were to take a diamond into the jeweler, right, they're going to get out their little magnifying glass, right, and they're going to look at it and say, well, uh, that's not cubic zirconia. Okay, that's pretty good, you know, and, you know, they're going to look at the cut. They're going to look at the angles and the colors and so on and so forth, right? They're going to prove the genuineness of it. And if the jeweler takes pleasure in that jewel, he is going to select it. He's going to choose it. He's going to set it up, put it on a ring or necklace or something like that. He's going to set it. He's going to show favor, if you will, for this jewel. So do you see the idea here then? Men are good because of God's will. God's choice. He is that jeweler. And it's not because we have innate worthiness. We have seen so clearly in Romans that's not the case. Even the best of us. But God chooses to save some, men of goodwill. It is God's will, electing some to receive this peace with him, 
which gives him then all the glory. Let's turn a moment to Ephesians chapter 1. The same word is used here by Paul, Ephesians 1. Now we could read this whole uh, section, but let me read just a portion of it. Ephesians 1, excuse me, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now here's the word. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, right? Glory to God in the highest, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so the reason we can be men and women of goodwill is because of God's good pleasure. He takes pleasure in us, not because we are pleasing, but because he chose to adopt us. He predestined us unto this blessing, unto this peace. And so, you know, when when you hear our culture make reference to Luke 2 and this promise and these words of the angel, right, Peace on earth, right? goodwill toward men and such. You know, it's usually very secularized, of course, but it also tends to be universalized. But that's actually the opposite of what the angels are communicating here. Okay? It is very much religious, and it's limited. It's not peace to everyone. Yes, they'll be throughout the earth, not just Israel, but it's not universal salvation. All right, so let's keep going then. Verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. All right, so can you imagine that, right? The the whole sky is filled with light, all these different angels, and all of a sudden it goes away, you know. They probably can't see the hand in front of their face for a little while, right? It's so dark. The angels leave, okay? But the shepherds say, okay, let's do what they told us, okay? They obey. They agree to go see what the angel had told to them. They're looking for the sign. Now, these shepherds may have been citizens of Bethlehem, but maybe from the town seven miles away. Uh, We don't know if they knew people in town. Maybe they knew of some people or something. We don't know some of these details. Were they a few miles out of town? Could they see the lights of the city? Or did they have to, you know, go over some uh, rise in the hill before they could see it? These details were not given. But notice verse 16. They waste no time. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They ran, possibly. Certainly, they went quickly. They were excited. Now, is it like we sang here a little bit ago? They left the sheep in the midst of the storm and the wind? Hey, maybe. Did they leave someone behind? Uh, Did they bring the sheep with them? We're not told. And then it says they found them. But how many houses did they bang on before they found the right place? 
Maybe the Lord led them directly, but maybe they knocked on a few doors in the middle of the night <laughs> before they found. Yeah, they were waking people up. Did they find five other children first? Again, these are details we're not given. But they do find Mary and Joseph and Jesus, just as the angel said. And so this sign they're looking for, hey, maybe they found other babies wrapped in claws, but they then found the one in the manger. And that, of course, is the right one. So verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. All right, now let me say a few words here about shepherds. Yeah, we are... um, typically of the mindset that shepherds were good people, right? Certainly in the Old Testament, uh, we see that. We see David, we see Abraham, we see Jacob and others. And uh, that certainly was the case in the Old Testament. But by the time you come to the first century here, in the time of Christ's birth, shepherds were typically despised. They were not used as witnesses in court because you couldn't trust them. They were known to be dirty. They were known to steal things. They were known typically to not be very religious. So here you have shepherds coming banging on your door in the middle of the night. You wonder what people would have thought initially. Hey, what are they going to do to us? Are they going to take our stuff or whatever? But notice how God uses despised things. You remember the women at the tomb? Women were not used as witnesses in the first century. They would not be used in that way in a court setting. And yet God used them too. He uses women at the resurrection. He uses despised shepherds at the birth of Christ. This is God's way of doing things, isn't it? Now we can also then say this. Notice that the angels did not go to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They did not go to Herod in his palace. It was very common in the first century at the birth of an heir to the throne and then later for the birthdays of that heir or of the king himself that they would be hailed as Savior and Lord. Same words here. There would be all this pomp in the palace. There would be choirs singing Hey, and not just happy birthday to you kind of stuff. You know, there would be all uh, kinds of praise for either the heir or for the king himself. Note the contrast. Angels don't go to the palace. They don't go to the temple. They go out in the field. They don't go to the king. They don't go to the priests, the religious leaders. They go to despise shepherds, or we could even say just to common people. Like you and me. None of us are all that famous or wealthy or powerful. God came to people like us here in this way. And the angels sang to some dirty people, you might say. To some common people. This message, notice, is accessible to everyone. You don't have to go to seminary to have this message. You don't have to become a politician in Harrisburg or Washington to know this message. The message is for all of us, to men of goodwill. And so the shepherds then, these average people, despised people, they're now telling everyone. Again, is it still dark? (laughs) Are they still waking people up? 
Um, you know, certainly the light would, would uh, the sound would rise and so forth, and they're telling people that the response to this good news, and we don't keep it to ourselves, we, we tell others. Now notice then in verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They may have been turned off initially, but then when they heard the message, they marvel at it. They respond with amazement. Now, some of them may have come and started looking for Jesus themselves. Maybe others just went back to bed or whatever. And then verse 19, notice Mary's response. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is not to say she didn't tell anyone, but it does say that she is reflecting on it. Remember, she is probably a 15-year-old girl, something like that. And she's trying to understand all these things. The angel coming and now angels here with the shepherds and, and so on and so forth. Pondering this. Now let me add this one detail. Remember Jesus was born roughly 4, 5, possibly 6 BC. And Luke wrote his gospel in the late 50s, probably as late as 60 AD. And it is very likely that we should understand that Luke interviewed people for his gospel when Paul was in prison in Jerusalem and in Caesarea. So you're talking over 60 years later, Luke likely interviewed Mary and heard some of these ponderings. And now she's 75, 80 years old or something like that. And so even now, at that point, she is reflecting to Luke of how she pondered all of this. It is hard for us to grasp all of this in some ways. There is so much to it, and yet uh, it is for us all. So then verse 20, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. It doesn't say that the sheep were scattered all over the hillside, though maybe they were. Uh, but they return. And they're praising God yet. These commonly non-religious people are being quite religious here. Like the angels, they are praising God and spreading this message. All right, so do you see the obvious implication for us? Let's do the same. We have been given this good news. We have been given peace. We have been chosen by God to receive these blessings through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us also then respond to this good news by trusting in Jesus initially, but then pondering these truths, seeking to understand them even more. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and then let's also be filled with wonder and tell others. Excuse me. <coughs> and so as we see here, God has revealed himself in these common ways to common people, people like us. <coughs> Let us praise God here today. <coughs> But maybe today or tomorrow, in the days to come, we're going to be getting with other people. Let's tell them these things. 
Let's communicate this truth. Let us talk about God's grace in sending his son to bring peace to those who believe. Let us praise God, but let us then spread this word too. What great joy, what good news that we have been given. And so let's keep this, this in mind in the next few days here especially. All right. Well, let's pray together. <coughs> Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for <coughs> this word, especially that focuses here on the birth of Christ and especially uh, the, the, the news of his birth and the response to it. We are thankful, Lord, that here we are 2,000 plus years later and we can hear this same message that was brought to the shepherds, that um, uh, we too can respond with joy and thanksgiving because of what you have done to bring peace between ourselves and yourself through Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would then respond with amazement, with joy, with thanksgiving, with praise, and may we understand what you have done, but also then communicate it to others. Lord, strengthen us in this way, especially in the next few days, but, but every day, that you would help us to, to share this word, this word of great joy to all those around us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified through it all then. And we thank you once again <clears throat> for fulfilling your promises here in this way and for sending your son to die that we might be restored to yourself and so we pray all of these things then in jesus name amen <clears throat>